Listener Production. We are not the only country going to the polls. The French will vote in a presidential election this weekend that could really impact the very future of Europe. I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but just hear me out for a second. So the race is between incumbent centrist candidate Emmanuel Macron, he's the guy that we've been seeing for the last few years, and between far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. Now, put very, very simply, he's pro-EU, pro-Ukraine. She is not a fan of the European Union and, let's just say, has a record of cosy ties with Russia. She's running on a very protectionist, anti-immigration agenda. Jobs, laws, welfare for the French. He's got a much more outward-facing platform that continues to maintain strong ties with neighbouring countries. It's two very different directions for one of Europe's largest countries, and it could go either way. The voters are going to hit the government where it hurts. They're going to target the president. Whether they vote for Marine Le Pen, that's another matter. But um, a lot of voters are sort of thinking, well, she can't do any worse than he's been doing. We're going to chat about what this means, not just for Europe, but also for Australia as well. That is coming up in just a moment. But first, the headlines with Annika Smethurst. Today, Thursday, the 21st of April. Opposition leader Anthony Albanese has won the first leaders' debate of the election campaign. He faced Scott Morrison at the Gabba in front of 100 undecided voters, covering a range of topics including home ownership, healthcare, border protection and that cashless debit card we're hearing so much about. Yeah, it was a very wide-ranging debate last night between our two leaders. So in the end, 40 people voted for Albanese, 35 for Morrison, 25 were still undecided. Um, That's how they... I guess, sort of decide who won the debate on the night. Um, Now, Scott Morrison opened by, I guess, spruiking his government's economic credentials. That's what he went really hard on. Between a stronger economy and a weaker economy, a stronger future, an uncertain one. The Labor leader followed, pushing for change, saying the coalition doesn't have a plan for lifting wages, for cheaper childcare or cheaper electricity, as well as no plan for making housing more affordable or to bring manufacturing back. They haven't learnt from their mistakes, they keep repeating them, and they don't have a plan for the future. We must do better and we can do better. Yeah, so Albanese sort of overall making the claim that the coalition has been treading water, that you're not going to get much positive change um, if you were to vote for them. There were a couple of other sort of tense moments throughout the evening. There was one on border protection as well. Why didn't you support turnbacks then? You weren't proposing no, that we, then. No, you we were, were not proposing. I'm sorry, you, you we were were. Not it was propos- our policy. You were not Turnbacks proposing. were our policy before you, you the 2013 not- election. I was the shadow immigration minister. I designed the policy. Yeah, it was interesting um, hearing them clash over that because that seems to be the one policy that they're relatively uh, bipartisan on. Mm. But what did you think of the debate, Annika? Firstly, I guess, how important are these debates in sort of changing hearts and minds of people? Look, I don't know how many people actually, you know, put their vote on it. Usually get two or three of the campaign. This one last night was on Sky. It was also broadcast online on news.com, but it was around dinner time. So you do sort of wonder how many people actually watch them. I think what they are important for is momentum for perhaps the winner or perhaps the loser. Now, we know Anthony Albanese's had a pretty rough start to the campaign. He did well last night. He did narrowly win, but he also didn't make any huge mistakes. And I think that will be really good for his confidence and 
that trickles down into the party. It's amazing. I've been speaking to some Labor MPs recently, how disappointed they were with his start. So something like this could really, you know, I get give them the boost that perhaps they need. I did think it was a little bit boring. As you say, both of them really towed the line. Nobody made any huge mistakes, which both campaigns will be happy with. But then you sort of think, well, what's the point? If we sort of <laughs> sat there all night and they both sprouted their lines, no one made a mistake, you know, we didn't get to say anything we don't get to say in Parliament. So I think it'll be one, um, a win for the campaign teams, not yeah. necessarily voters. <laughs> <laughs> so good for the campaigns. Terrible television. <laughs> Staying with the debate, because one of the more sort of tense moments that I want to focus on a little bit um, was over a security deal that was inked between the Solomon Islands and China. This is a deal that could see a Chinese military presence um, roughly 2,000 kilometres off the Australian coastline. Now, Labor's called it the worst failure for Australian policy in the Pacific since the end of World War II. That's a very big call. And um, during the debate, Scott Morrison accused Albanese of siding with China over this, essentially not not having Australia's back. This is what he said. What I don't understand is that when something of this significance takes place, why would you take China's side? And this is how Anthony Albanese responded. That's an outrageous slur from the Prime Minister and it shouldn't be, uh, national security issues shouldn't be the subject of that sort of slur. This isn't so much a Pacific step up, it's a Pacific stuff up. This comes after the PM spent most of yesterday fending off criticism over the deal, including from former Foreign Minister Julie Bishop, who questioned why Foreign Minister Maurice Payne wasn't sent to try and avert the decision. I believe our Foreign Minister should be on the next plane to Solomon Islands to talk with the government to see what's actually been agreed. Yeah, so the Coalition sent um, the Pacific Islands Minister Zed Sezelja instead of Foreign Minister Maurice Payne. But Scott Morrison has sort of defended um, his government's handling of this, saying that the Solomon Islands is a sovereign country and that it can act as it wants. I'm not going to act like former administrations that treated the Pacific like some extension of Australia. The Pacific Islands are very sensitive to that. So here's the Solomon Islands Prime Minister, Manasse Sogavare, speaking before his country's parliament. The decision will not address impact or undermine the peace and harmony of our region. So making a promise there, but I think one of the key issues with this agreement, Annika, firstly, it seemed to have caught the Australian government by surprise, but also there's an ongoing lack of transparency around it. The details haven't been made public. I'm not going to defend Scott Morrison on this. I think it's a pretty bad handling, but he is right when he says they're a foreign nation. We wouldn't want somebody else, another country, sort of demanding we release certain information or demanding we do certain things. You know, you elect your government to make sovereign decisions uh, for your country, not for another country. So he is right when he says that. But in terms of dropping the ball, Jan, this is incredible. It's been well known in Canberra for many years, the sort of role the Pacific would play. It's a lot of this sort of diplomacy is done through aid and, and different things. It's sort of soft diplomacy about which uh, country has the most power. In terms of us or China, I went to Solomon Islands a few years ago with a bunch of federal MPs and China were investing a lot of money back then. This hasn't sort of happened overnight. And I can't help but think if it was a Labor decision, it would have played a huge part this election campaign. And I think the coalition are really just trying to hush it up and cover it up and pretend like it isn't the big deal that it really, really is. But I don't know whether mm. sending Maurice Payne at this stage 
would actually change anything. Perhaps she should have spent a bit more time over there in the last few years, though. Well, speaking of the coalition trying to sort of hush it up and not make it a big deal, they should probably try and hush up Barnaby Joyce, who said that it could possibly create a Cuba off the coast of Australia. Big call. Ukrainians are still holding out in the city of Mariupol. Uh, They're desperately appealing for help as they make what could become their last stand. This is our appeal to the world. This could be the last appeal of our lives. The enemy is outnumbering us 10 to 1. They have advantage in the air, in artillery, in their forces on land, in equipment and in tanks. We appeal and plead to all world leaders to help us. Major Sergei Vonnier there calling on world leaders to extract himself and his fellow soldiers, as well as up to a 1,000 civilians holed up in a steelworks plant. Ukrainian forces have managed to hold out for so long because that steelworks plant is a sprawling mass of tunnels spread over six and a half square kilometres. My God, I cannot imagine what those hold up currently in that building are thinking or feeling in this moment. The Russians have issued another ultimatum for the remaining soldiers to surrender. Only five um, have so far. There have been civilians that have managed to escape through humanitarian corridors, though. Meanwhile, Russia and Belarusian tennis players have been banned from playing at Wimbledon. Now, that decision will mean world number two, Daniel Medvedev, won't be allowed to play. Now, he was the runner-up at this year's Australian Open. Yeah, that's right. There are others that are set to miss out as well. Um, world number eight, a man called um, Andre Rublev. I don't know if you remember, Annika, but he was the one who wrote No War, Please on um, a television camera lens. That footage kind of went mm. viral on the internet. That's where I saw it. You know, he's not allowed to play, even though clearly he's anti-war, doesn't want it to happen. The two times women's Grand Slam champion, Victoria Azarenka, also not allowed to play. I think what England is worried about or Wimbledon's worried about is that Daniil Medvedev may just win and the optics of him holding up that Wimbledon trophy when he does, I think, is something that they are clearly trying to avoid. I'm not sure whether that's entirely fair or not. Actor Johnny Depp has taken the stand in the defamation case against his ex-wife Amber Heard. There were arguments, things of that nature, but never did I myself reach the point of um, striking misheard in any way. Depp is suing Heard for a cool 50 million US dollars in a Virginia court over a 2018 Washington Post op-ed which she wrote. Yeah, so this is a really messy saga. Uh, Heard, as you said there, Annika, wrote an op-ed in 2018 where she said that she was a public figure representing domestic abuse. Um, Now, the piece doesn't exactly name Depp, but it was published two years after she alleged that Johnny Depp bruised her face after throwing a phone at her in their Los Angeles home. Depp has denied the allegations and was not charged with any crime. He claims the piece led to financial losses for him, including being dropped from future Pirates of the Caribbean films after he led the franchise for 15 years. One day you're uh, Cinderella, so to speak, and then in 0.6 seconds you're Quasimodo. A lot of Disney metaphors there, but uh, Heard's lawyers, they filed a countersuit against Depp. They argue nothing in the article defames him. Obviously, the testimony expected to continue. She will testify a little bit later in the trial. All right, Annika, we're going to let you go. Up next, Antoinette's jumping in. 
We're heading to Paris talking the French presidential elections. Will it be a European game changer? So the French presidential election will take place this weekend. And if you don't know much about French politics, fear not, we've got you covered and we're going to break it down. And without trying to beat this up too much, it could be a real game changer, not just for France, but Europe more broadly. And of course, then what will this mean for Australia, given our relationship at the moment is pretty crap at best? Yeah, that's not an inaccurate way to describe it. Paul Kirby is the European editor for the BBC. He's been covering this election. Paul, welcome to the show. Um, For those in Australia who are unfamiliar with how French elections work, I am sort of counting myself in that category a little bit. I could know more about it. Give us an overview on how it works. Right. So we've already had one round and now we're coming up to round two. Round one, we had 12 candidates, and they get whittled down to the final two, so there's a runoff coming up. Now, what was really interesting about round one is that a lot of the voters just decided, you know what, we're not going to vote for most of these candidates because we just know that they're not going to do very well. So we're going to focus just on three. Two out of those top three obviously got through. That's the president, uh, the incumbent, Emmanuel Macron, who's been in power for the last five years. And when he came to power five years ago, I mean, he was a complete novice. Um, you know, he had no real political background. So French voters were plumping for somebody with no obvious political hinterland. It, it was really quite a surprise, but uh, they went for him. And he beat Marine Le Pen in the runoff five years ago. He's now faced with Marine Le Pen five years on. Mm. Exactly the same candidate he faces. She's from the far right and he's kind of centrist, which is why a lot of people have voted for him. But the other thing is that Emmanuel Macron has basically swept away the existing sort of mainstream two parties, the parties, if you like, that ran France for decades, the Republicans, the right wing and the socialists on the left. So he's dead centre. Marine Le Pen's on the far right. And the third candidate who got swept away, he's from the far left. So it's it's a fascinating place to be in France right now. Mm. So you mentioned that Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, they have faced off prior five years ago. Obviously, uh, Emmanuel Macron won that election. What has changed in the last five years? The big change is that they, the French voters know who they're, who they're voting for. Because as I said, Emmanuel Macron was very much an unknown quantity. Now they know who he is and they either love him or they hate him. And there's, to be honest, there's quite a lot of hate out there. Marine Le Pen has sort of played to this feeling that he's kind of a president of the rich. And, you know, you look at your shopping basket in France, the prices have gone up and the voters are going to hit uh, hit the government where it hurts. They're going to target the president. Whether they vote for Marine Le Pen That's another matter. But um, a lot of voters are sort of thinking, well, she can't do any worse than he's been doing. And now for a slightly, I guess, larger view, uh, how will Mm. this election outcome change Europe? We know Macron has called it an election that's a referendum on Europe. And as you mentioned, Le Pen has has moved away from some of her more hardline stances. Several years ago, she'd said she wanted to leave the EU you know, Macron's camp believes that's still the ultimate plan, but she's sort of tempered her language in this regard. How do you see the election outcome impacting 
uh, France's role within Europe? I bet there'd be a lot of nervous European <laughs> leaders yes. right now. Yes, there are. Mm-hmm. There are. One of the things that's going on right now is that Emmanuel Macron is um, France has the presidency of the European Union. So, you know, basically for six months, if you're one of the 27 countries of the European Union, you get to, you know, choose the agenda in Europe and, and you know, drive the things that you want to get through. He's been running the show since the beginning of the year. Now, you can imagine what's been going on in Europe since the beginning of the year. Mm. And since February the 24th, we've had a full-on war in Europe. And Emmanuel Macron has been a big player in this. You know, just before the war started, he, he actually visited Moscow. He went to see Vladimir Putin to try to talk some sense with him, but um, he got nowhere. But he has been a very, very big player in this. So, you know, during that whole period and since, he's been talking, well, less so now to uh, Putin, but very much so to to the Ukrainian leader. So his focus, his mind has been on Ukraine and the war. Now, let's say, for example, that um, Macron wins, that will carry on. And, um, you know, you won't notice very much different. But what if Marine Le Pen were to win? Now, all bets are off, really. You suggested that, well, Marine Le Pen's not really talking about leaving the EU anymore. You know, they call it Frexit in the way that, um, you know, in the UK we called it Brexit. Yeah, theoretically, there's no Frexit. But in reality, the things that she's proposing are huge changes from what we have at the moment with, you know, France's integral part of the European Union. France has always been seen as, you know, together with Germany, the kind of motor that drives the European Union. Well, okay, she's got a whole list of things which, when you add them together, would be a real problem for France within the EU. And many people are saying, well, in other words, it could end up as a sort of de facto Frexit, you know, a Mm. sort of Frexit in all but name. And then, you know, it's Mm. not just the EU we're talking about. We discussed the Russian war. Well, Le Pen has a bit of a problem when it comes to relations with Russia. She's she's bankrolled uh, or she's got lots of bank loans from Russia, right? Yeah, a lot of money that goes back um, millions of euros that she borrowed from the Russians. And, and, you know, they've been proven to be sanctioned by the Kremlin. Now, she went cap in hand to the Russians in 2014. That was primarily because she couldn't get the money when she wanted to, uh, from French banks, because basically they boycotted the the far right. So she went to the Russians and she got millions of euros that kept her in credit, kept the the party going. But you do want to wonder, don't you, what did she have to give in return for that? You do have to wonder what it means for, Mm. you know, France's relationship with NATO, for example, if, if it was a Le Pen win. It feels like it's a really tense is the right word, but it feels like a very poignant moment in Europe at the moment. If Macron wins, as you say, things stay the same. But if Marine Le Pen wins, well, then suddenly you have these potentially shifting alliances now in a moment where you have Russia at war with Ukraine. Like there's so much going on. It just feels like it's this really kind of tense moment that could go in any direction. Have I overblown it or is that where we're at? We don't really know, do we? Because you look at the opinion polls and, um, you know, there was one opinion poll just when the first round happened, you know, about 10 days ago. There was one point between them. And basically, it was, you know, mm. you could say when you talk about margins of error, you know, too close to call. More recent opinion polls have sort of put a gap between them. So it's kind of 54, 46, maybe even more. And the smart money is on Macron just about 
getting through. Now, we've been wrong before, I can tell you that, in, in Europe over, and, and, and <laughs> over so, and so, opinion polls and so, so have we in, in our last election. <laughs> uh, the opinion polls got it wrong and we have another election here and there's lots of opinion polls and who knows if it's right. And that, I guess, is a nice little pivot to Australia. Obviously, Aussies will be thinking, well, what about us? What does it mean for us? Um, obviously, mm-hmm. we have an election mm-hmm. on here too. How much will things yes. change uh, for our relationship depending on who wins? And a bit of context, which you may or may not be aware of, you know, Macron isn't too pleased with our current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who he pretty strongly intimated was a liar over our abandoned multi-billion dollar submarine contract. I think it's not going to get any worse if it was a Marine Le Pen presidency. Because <laughs> oh say, you know, We've hit rock bottom, have we? It doesn't get any worse from well, here. I mean, it was awkward with the UK as well. You know, the AUKUS thing is awkward for everybody. But um, yeah, um, certainly um, Macron hasn't forgotten that. Mm. And, um, you know, because that, that was a huge blow for French pride. But then Marine Le Pen, is she's a nationalist leader. Let's not forget that. And And everything she does is about, you know, French pride, French nationality. Now, she says she's going to spend more money on on the military and everything. But I think what you'd see is a much more inward-looking France under Marine Le Pen. So I don't think she'd be going out and making huge uh, changes necessarily to relationships with Australia. It, it would seem unlikely at this point, but but I don't think it could be any worse than it is now. Mm. Okay, if we're going to speculate, which is a terrible thing to do, but everybody mm. loves to do it, so I'll shoot the last question to you. Who do you reckon will win the French election this weekend? I'm going to go with the opinion polls because I think they've been right in France in the last few weeks. I think they called the first round right. What I would say is even if Emmanuel Macron wins this time round, it's not what we're looking at right now that is at issue. It's what happens down the road in five years' time. Because, you know, once he's gone in five years' time, what on earth is going to replace him? Mm. You know, we've got a destroyed, ruined mainstream landscape. There's a centrist party, which is basically a movement behind Emmanuel Macron, which probably wouldn't exist without him. So I'll leave you with that. We're probably looking at a Macron five-year term now unless the polls are wrong. But what on earth happens five years down the road? I have no idea. That was Paul Kirby, the European editor for the BBC, covering the French election. It's really interesting that, you know, he's less concerned with what happens now now than he is in five years' time. But I also love his take on our relationship with France. Like, it can't get much worse. (laughs) And if Marine Le Pen is elected, she'll probably not really care about us much. Yeah. I mean, there's also, you know, he said that he was going to just go by what the polls are saying in France at the moment, that they've been traditionally reliable. I'm so scarred by polling that anytime someone says, I'm just going to go with what the polls say, I just think it's just a free game for anyone. We'll have to see what happens. All right, that is it for our show today. Tomorrow on The Briefing... We're going to meet some of the Ukrainians that have fled Ukraine and come all the way to Australia. What's next for them? That's coming up on tomorrow's show. Hope you can join us. Catch you soon. Listener.